How can going through religious activity keep us from having a biblical view of God? Going through high religious motions without a high view of God Himself doesn't really help get you to the mark of where you need to be under the uh, umbrella in favor of God. And why do followers of Christ need to understand Christian persecution? There's not a free church, maybe here in the West, in America, and a persecuted church in other parts of the world. Uh, they're simply the church. And when one brother or sister is being persecuted, that affects and that should affect all of us. It's the weekend of September 30th and October 1st. I'm Jeff Shambly and this is The Stand Radio. A.W. Tozer said, what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What people think about God can explain a lot of what we see and hear from fellow Christians and in our churches. Dr. Ray Rooney is here with us. In addition to being a Bible teacher and a pastor, he's also the Stan Digital Media Editor. Ray, welcome to the program. Thank you, Jeff. It's good to be here. In your article, Incomprehensible God, you write that our thinking of God can be too small. As a pastor, how have you seen that manifest itself in people? Well, First, you have to begin to talk about what God is. There's, there's this one word, three-letter word, and what, what does that mean? And so um, in the article, I start off with St. Anselm's um, definition for his ontological argument for the existence of God. I'm not going to go into the ontological argument, but, yeah. but he, he even had to set parameters about what, what is he talking about when he talks about God. Very short little, little uh, phrase, and it's simply this. God is that than which none greater can be conceived. That's the starting point. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, that you, you know, then you can get into a whole pantheon of gods. But Anselm said, if you're going to talk about God, you have to talk about that than which none greater can be conceived. All right. Now, if you don't start from there, then it's difficult to understand what your God is. I mean, that's why you get all this this crazy stuff about ancient aliens and uh, <laughs> you know, uh, two thousand and one, a space odyssey, and yep. and so forth. And, you know. God is outside of the universe. Yeah. All right. Um, now, if you don't start with that conception, then it's not likely that you're going to be in awe okay. of okay. of this being. And if you're not in awe of the being, then it's not likely that you're going to have much fear of the being. And if you're a reader of the Bible, you know that uh, much in the in the early chapters of the book of Proverbs says, without the fear of the Lord. Um, or, or positively states, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. And so you don't have knowledge. And there go, you become a fool. <laughs> and, and so uh, one of the things I remembered was, uh, was that opening line that God had to Job when, when he finally appeared to Job to answer you know, his complaints and questions. And God asked Job, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Okay. So without awe and reverence, you're, you're headed down a lane that ends up in entitlement. And so when you ask me how it affects the average person, um, well, then when I pray, I ought to get what I pray. <laughs> it's mine. It belongs to me. I mean, all right. 
then then you become a co-reigner with God. Now, I'm not going to get into the New Testament's what it's trying to communicate that says we're we're seated with him in heavenly places. Um, but it just opens the door. If you don't have a high view of God, you are opening the door to narcissism, arrogance, and then at the very least, uh, a minimal, you have um, no humility. Huh. And w- when you see that played out among people in the church, that's a problem. It's very problematic. So you have to start with this high view of God. What about the Bible, uh, Ray? What's the relationship between a person's view of God and the Bible itself? Well, without a high view of God, then the Bible really just becomes interesting reading. Mm. All right, it's it's interesting reading for some people. For others, I mean, who wants to read? Or uh, I'm saying this facetiously, but who who wants to read the Book of Numbers and <laughs> and the lists and and so forth? Now, I'm telling you that if you know the God <laughs> of the creation, there's some good stuff in the Book of Numbers. But the Bible then just becomes interesting, and it's not vital. Um, interestingly, back in 2021, uh, George Barna, the church pollster, uh, published an article called State of the Bible. And in answer to the question, 9%, only 9% of Christians have a biblical worldview. 9%. That means That's low. 91% of people who call themselves Christians do not have a biblical worldview. So that's where the problem comes when you detach yourself from a high view of God, then the Bible becomes eh, well, maybe so. In the in the King James version, there's this phrase that re- that's repeated especially by the prophets, but it's throughout the Old Testament. Thus saith the Lord. Right. So when you hear that, I mean, it's it's like, all right, <laughs> pay attention. In the New Testament, um, to get people's attention, uh, Jesus would say, translated, verily, verily, or amen, amen. Um, <clears throat> it's it's incredibly important. So, but a low view of God, it just it diminishes the word. It diminishes our responsibility to the word. Um, <clears throat> and more than more than anything else, with a low view of God. God himself becomes a uh, more or less just an improved version of myself. Mm. Um, uh, mm. All right. Mm. Uh, I don't really need then but to be familiar with the Bible because I already kind of know because God's just a little bit better version of me than I am. So why would I want to spend all the time trying to m- maneuver through the scriptures? And that all comes from having a low view wow. of God. What about denominations? Because, Ray, one of the things that I've noticed is in some of the denominations that seem to be having the most difficulty with morality, um, they have the highest worship because you go into their their liturgies are very transcendent. Uh, there's this idea that God is apart from us. He's ob- objectively approaching God. Why would a, a denomination with such a high liturgy have difficulty in working those things out in terms of their view of God? Well, let me just remind you of something that Jesus said, and he, this wasn't original to him. He was actually quoting Isaiah in Isaiah 29, 13. He was speaking to the very group you're talking about, okay. uh, people, religious leaders with a high view of God, supposedly, um, who went through all the liturgy, and he said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Mm. There's evidence in the Psalms, 50, especially Psalm 50, where God 
criticizes the people about their sacrificial worship, um, about the blood of bulls and rams and goats. And so he said, I don't want that. But, but remember, he's the one that instituted it. <laughs> All right, that, that's, that's the Levitical institution. But what he said to them was, what, here's what I want. Um, make thanksgiving your sacrifice to God. Okay, uh, and that comes from an air of of thankfulness, humility, because God is greater than me. The whole purpose of the Levitical sacrifices was was to say that should be me. Okay, <laughs> that okay. that that's that should be me. How grateful I am to God. But if if you don't have that high, if you, in other words, just going through high religious motions without a high view of God Himself doesn't really help get you to the mark of where you need to be under the uh, umbrella in favor of God. Oh, and it can give you a false sense of security. Exactly. Can it? Yeah. Exactly. I mean, there were. I read once in a in a in a uh, one of the old ancient Jewish books. One of the Pharisees uh, uh, in the midrash basically said what he had to say was more important than God. <laughs> what God had to say. So you know, liturgy is good. Uh, it can remind us and pull us. It, you know, that's the whole purpose of the Lord's Supper. Do this as often as you. I will in remembrance of me. So, but the heart has to be attached to it. And the, I'm telling you, the heart—the uh, only way for the heart to be attached to God that way is to have this holy, high view of God. In your own ministry uh, as a pastor over many, many years, what have you dealt with in the past in terms of uh, a high view of God and how that's worked itself out? Okay, uh, for 37 years, I was a United Methodist pastor. Right? For, um, I'm not any longer. <laughs> I struggled with why are you about to leave? And this wasn't some big, you know, there was this discussion going on, if you are familiar with the United Methodist Church and its issues with morality yeah, and, yeah. and so forth. I didn't want to leave the church just because it was fashionable to do now. It was easier to do now. And I kept coming back to, well, what is the bottom line? Why, why is it? Why do you feel? And this is what I told God in my prayer time with mm-hmm. him. Um, you called me into this. I'm not leaving until you call me out of it, okay? And I finally felt the call to leave out of it, and this, this, it finally settled into my heart. It wasn't so much about what the church's view of homosexuality had become or, or their lack of um, stomach for enforcing the book of discipline and so forth. It came down to the fact that I no longer had any confidence that the leadership of the United Methodist Church had a high view of God. I'll give you some examples. Here's why I say this. Um, for instance, one uh, one bishop sent out a, a podcast, some similar kind of thing, in which he uh, he didn't put it such that you know I believe this. He he just it was almost like thus saith the Lord. Uh, he said God did not create ex nihilo. Okay. Okay. Wow. Well, all right. Well, wait a second. What that means then is God is not separate and apart from the creation. He's a part of it because it was already here when He got here, and all all He said that God did was kind of bring order to this. Uh, chaotic creation. But you see what I'm saying? Sure. Yeah, God yeah. God is not a part of this. He he created, he's outside of it. Um, and that significantly diminishes your view of God. Another uh, another bishop, uh, I can tell you, said, we have to adapt our doctrine and our scriptures to changing life circumstances that people have. So we have to adapt the scripture to what, what people are going through. Um, no, 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 you don't. Uh, someone else, has, we must adapt our lives. This is the leadership. Yeah. This is what happens uh, when you don't have a high view of God. Um, they, they talked a great deal about the Great Commission, 
But Jesus said this uh, in Matthew uh, 23, 15. He talked about people. um, Well, I can just quote it for you. He he said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. So it seems to matter what kind of disciple we're making, not just the fact that we're making them. So that's where I stand there. Well, Ray, I know this is close to your heart, especially as a pastor, and you have a passion and a desire to see your people, your congregation, have a high view of God. Thanks so much for your work as a pastor, as a minister, as a man who stands on great conviction and on the authority of God's Word. Once again, Dr. Ray Rooney is the Stand Digital Media Editor. You can find out more about his article entitled Incomprehensible God by following the link on this podcast or by going to our website, afa.net net slash the stand. Ray, thanks so much for being with us. God bless. You're welcome. Thanks to God's grace, we still enjoy a lot of religious freedom here in America. But it can be easy to forget that some Christians face strong opposition to living out their faith. Nathan Harper of Vapor Ministries is with us to talk about these fellow believers and help us better understand how we can pray for them. Nathan, welcome to The Stand Radio. Thank you very much, Jeff. Glad to be here with you. Well, there are several places around the world where we should focus our prayers and support for fellow Christians, and one of the most difficult areas for Christian persecution is the nation of Sudan. Uh, Nathan, they're ranked number 10 among the most dangerous areas, according to Open Doors. Would you give us some background on where this persecution is coming from in Sudan? Yeah, so um, Sudan, and as we talk about Sudan, um, a couple of things to keep in mind, I would say. One is that uh, the entire Sahel region of uh, Africa, which is just the southern part of the Sahara Desert that goes all the way across from east to west uh, Africa, um, where the where the desert meets the uh, jungle, if, if you would say that, um, all the way across, there is uh, conflict, there's persecution, there's difficulty for our brothers and sisters in Christ living in any of those countries. Uh, Sudan is one of those. And mm-hmm. the second thing to remember about Sudan is uh, it is a separate country from South Sudan. Uh, A few years ago, South Sudan became an independent nation, um, and the majority of those living in South Sudan are Christians. Uh, But in Sudan, which is north of South Sudan, uh, you have a small number of Christians, a little over 4% of the country's population uh, are Christians. So that means about 2 million there. Mm -hmm. Um, And so a few years ago, just a couple of years ago, um, there was uh, a change in the leadership in the government and a civil war started. And there was some decrease actually in that time of, of persecution. Uh, but recently, because of the ongoing nature of the civil war and because of the military, um, I guess, strongholds uh, being taken in the country, there are uh, there's a growing uh, persecution coming back. So basically, Sudan had a two-year period of uh, lesser persecution for believers, uh, but it's increasing again. 
uh, which puts them back on the top 10 list of that world watch list. What can you tell us about the ways that those Christians and their churches are being singled out for persecution in Sudan? Yeah, so in Sudan specifically, persecution is in a way happening across the board where the military is involved. Um, If basically your village, your house, your uh, you are in the way of what they're wanting to do. They're going to claim that for themselves, move you out of there. So there's a lot of internally displaced people in Sudan, both Christian and uh, non-Christian, uh, mostly Muslim people there. And so there's a degree where everybody is being persecuted for one reason or the other. It might be political persecution or it might be um, just because of geography or ethnicity but there's also religious persecution. And so for Christians, it just adds to it that they become like enemy number one mm-hmm. in a lot of ways to a militant Islamist uh, who is who is, has their own agenda. And uh, a Christian is seen as someone who is, you know, standing in their way of that agenda. You know, listening to these stories, it's heartbreaking when we consider that there are human beings in general, but specifically brothers and sisters in Christ who are suffering like this. And people are listening and they're, they're wanting to do something. But in a situation like that, it's so difficult. So, of course, we pray. We pray for them. But are there practical things that we can do? Or, or maybe you can tell us what is being done to help those believers in Sudan. I think prayer is definitely the most important thing. And, um, you know, anywhere there's persecution— the believers, a mature believer in Christ, will will tell you, uh, don't pray for the persecution to end. Mm. Don't pray for a lessening of the difficulty. Uh, pray for a strengthening of, of the brothers and sisters. And so we definitely want to do that. Uh, most of the time when there is an increase in persecution, that means there was an increase in the sharing of the gospel. Right. And so... Uh, we don't want that to end. We want the gospel to be proclaimed boldly. Um, and so let's do two things. Pray specifically for the strength uh, and perseverance of our brothers and sisters and that they would be bold in their witness. But I think on a practical level where there may not be an, a- uh, an avenue to share resources, there may not be an avenue to hands and feet go to that place and do something. What we can do is Let's not give up in freedom what they refuse to give up under persecution, which is the ability to share the gospel with those around us and and to be a witness. That's a great point, uh, Nathan, great point. Well, one of the most encouraging opportunities for the gospel um, comes out of Iran, where there is a growing shift away from Islam. Uh, Nathan, can you give us some background on the government and what's going on uh, to open the way for the good news of Jesus in Iran? Definitely. So, Iran is still, and this is uh, at least a couple of decades in the making, um, Iran is the fastest growing church in the world. Mm-hmm. And so it's still, it's not slowing down. It's uh, God is still moving, still working among people uh, in Iran. And even Iranians who are elsewhere, who are living outside the borders of their, of their home country, God is just bringing people to himself uh, by the thousands. And, um, the most conservative estimates are there There are at least a million believers, oh, wow. followers of Jesus in the country of Iran, but that's on the conservative side. Okay. I've even heard numbers as high as 8 million potentially. And so what's basically going on, any kind of move you see of the government, that regime in Iran um, that is um, against 
Christians specifically, I think we should see that as a, a desperation move by a few group of people who are, who are fearful of losing their position politically, and they are, um, they're trying to attack any enemy that uh, they perceive. And, and because God is doing so many great things in that place, um, the enemy is wanting to, you know, to do what he can to stop that. But I, I believe it's, it's sort of a losing battle on the enemy's end. Uh, God, <laughs> yeah. God is getting the victory in Iran. Yeah, that's great. Between two and eight million believers, that is fantastic. Um, there are reports that uh, somewhere between well, around 50,000 of the nation's 75,000 mosques are closing their doors. That has to be having an enormous impact on the culture. Has this softened the persecution of Christians, or do you see the government cracking down even more on secularism and religious freedom? Yeah, I don't think it's uh, softened their response uh, as far as the government's response to what's going on. I think it has softened uh, hearts of individuals who are in uh, Iran who, you know, maybe five years ago would have called themselves a Muslim, mm -hmm. uh, but they've seen the harsh response of their government. And in Iran, the government is equivalent to the religion. And so they say, hey, if, if Islam is like this, I don't really want to consider myself a Muslim. I don't want to, you know, follow God in this way. Um, and so they've kind of stepped back and sort of declared themselves to be uh, atheists. Mm -hmm. um, and so that might be one of the main reasons where where these uh, mosques have been uh, closing. Um, but I think what happens at that point is uh, the people who maybe formerly were Muslim and now are atheists, um, they're, they're a, um, a willing heart, possibly, to hear good news. And they're eager to respond to the message in the person of Jesus in faith and repentance. Uh, however, the government then uh, can more easily possibly uh, target those individuals who are strong in their witness, who are planting churches, who are making disciples, who are bold and out front with their faith. And um, even just recently had a report of uh, three brothers who over the weekend, uh, past weekend, were gunned down and killed. Uh, and these were brothers who were you know, sharing the gospel daily and planting churches on a weekly basis. Mm. So that's kind of the response, the typical response of the government. Um, and so the persecution has not necessarily slowed down, um, but but the gospel hasn't slowed down either. And that's the good news. Yeah. One young woman who was arrested in 2009 for sharing the gospel spoke out last year, and it was reported uh, that she said the corruption and persecution from the government has caused, these are her words, a thirst for the gospel. How do you see this thirst being played out? Is it church planting that you see? Yeah, it's, um, it's a little bit of everything. You see people being responsive, even to the point of seeking out um, the message of the gospel, where in Iran, that's not easy to do necessarily. Um, the government controls uh, the internet, for example, where you you know you can and cannot uh, get on the internet and, and just look for anything you want to. But maybe in a clandestine type way, people are circumventing those uh, mm -hmm. those guardrails and and going to websites where the gospel is being shared in their language, uh, satellite television and radio, uh, and people are are really thirsty and hungry for some good news. And when they hear that in Jesus, they're eager to respond. And so what we see is literally in a, in a typical month in Iran, 
thousands and thousands of new believers are, are coming to faith and following Jesus, and hundreds of churches are being planted. And wow. we, when we say churches planted, we're not meaning buildings being built on a street corner somewhere. We're talking about small groups of uh, 10 to, to 20 people gathering in a group somewhere, in a home somewhere, uh, but following Jesus and worshiping him. And, and then they're being bold and going out and, and making disciples of Jesus among the people that, that they know and that they uh, have contact with. Oh, that's so exciting. Uh, what are some of the greatest needs that we can be praying for right now in Iran? Well, I do think it's um, good to, either, even though we don't want to necessarily um, ask for persecution to, to completely stop, because that's not their prayer request. Their prayer request is for, for that strength mm-hmm. that God will give them. So we can pray in that way, uh, pray for boldness. But I think it's okay to pray for protection, especially for these bold men and women who are who are seen as leaders in this movement of multiplying disciples and planting churches and, and sharing the gospel. There are some people who are uh, basically targets uh, from the government, and they would like nothing better than to see uh, that stopped. And, and so let's pray for their protection um, as well as they go out boldly to share the gospel. Nathan, you really have your, your finger on the, the pulse of missions, not only in America, but obviously around the globe. Why do you think it's important that we talk about persecuted Christians? What does that do for the church to strengthen us? Well, I think one important lesson that I've tried to learn is that, you know, there's not a uh, separation between a, there's not a free church, maybe here in the West in America, and a persecuted church in other parts of the world. Uh, they're simply the church. And when one brother or sister is being persecuted, that affects, and it should affect even me. It should affect all of us. Um, and so we want to remember them. We want to pray for them. We want to educate ourselves on what they're going through. Um, but I think we can learn a lot as we watch as they, um, they're not wanting, they're not setting out to be a model uh, of what it means to follow Jesus, but I think they are, and uh, we can learn from them. And like I said before, let's, let's not give up in freedom that desire and that boldness of being a witness, because they're not giving it up even under persecution. Yeah. Well, Nathan Harper has been our guest. Nathan is with Vapor Ministries. The website is vaporministries.org. You can contact Nathan and find out more about his ministry if you'd like to find out even more about what he's talked about today. His email address is nharper, H-A-R-P-E-R, at vaporministries.org, nharper at vaporministries.org. And if Nathan's voice sounds familiar, it's because you hear him weekly here on American Family Radio with the program Exploring Missions. And we encourage you to check out that podcast when you go to our website, afr.net slash podcast. Once again, the program is called Exploring Missions. Nathan, always good to talk to you. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you, Jeff. I appreciate it. Coming up next week, we'll wrestle with how to overcome life's disappointments and the grand design of God that surrounds the lives of His people. And we'll talk about the things we can do to support and minister to our pastors. You can get a more in-depth look at today's topics at afa.net slash The Stand. You can also sign up for a free six-month subscription to The Stand magazine. For questions or comments, email us at thestand at afa.net. 
podcasts of this program and others are available at afr.net slash podcasts. Until next time, I'm Jeff Shambly. Thanks for listening.